This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Check Radio. Good morning and welcome back to Counterculture here with Reality Check Radio. I am Marie and of course I'm welcoming back my all-time number one favourite, most frequent guest, Helen Houghton, leader of the New Conservative Party. Helen, how are you? Oh, Marie, it's so good to be back and um, great to get another interview in with you before Christmas. I know. So thank you. I know. Yeah. Well, we had to catch up. Now, look, how's your post-election hangover? Uh, yeah, the first week was rough. I've got to say it was rough the first week and there was quite a lot of disillusion around, but it didn't take long to bounce back. And, you know, the reality, we, we I particularly knew the reality of the situation of the landscape and I think, um, you know, there'll be a few more people prepared to have some other conversations. Interestingly, someone told me last week that there's been over 100, can't remember the exact number, over 100 different new parties since uh, MMP that haven't got into Parliament that have started up. So I think really we need to have a conversation, you know, a few of us about what that looks like um, going forward. And we will have those conversations yeah. a lot earlier on this time. Yeah, because there is, there's still a need for us. I mean, out of all those hundred parties, you know, majority of them had good reasons for what they're doing. I mean, they all stood, they're all standing up for something. So, yeah, we need to look at how to do things differently. Maybe it's about yeah. coalescing around the commonalities, isn't it? Not focusing yeah. on the differences. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I can talk to you about that. What I saw too when we went to the um, rally last week, but. We'll get on to that. No, well, I, let's get yeah. on to that because I, I really want to um, do that because, of course, I spoke to Dailandi a couple of weeks ago from Manawahini Korero and uh, Rex and, and those girls were all there with their Voices for Children rally, which was on the footsteps of Parliament on Tuesday the 31st, Halloween, All Hallows Eve there in Parliament, and it looked like it was a beautiful day. If you oh, my gosh, it was roasting. It was so hot, yeah. Oh, it was gorgeous. Mm. And uh, the videos are online, actually, if you want to see what was said. There were some wonderful speakers you were speaking uh i saw who else did i see i saw hana tamaki was speaking yeah, yeah. there was some really good stuff there so tell us i mean i loved what you said uh when you got started um because you had a conversation with ai <laughs> yeah yeah oh i wasn't sure um how many people have actually tuned into that so yeah i don't have a lot of friends so i talked to ai instead no just for a bit of fun one weekend the weekend before that i decided to ask ai some questions and I wanted to know what AI thought about you know would come back with around the fact that do I need to you know do I need to affirm another person and sure enough AI came back and you know used a whole lot of wokey stuff and talked about empathy and respect and all that and I thought well fair enough but I, I went back to AI and then suggested well what about my what about respecting the fact that I might not agree with some of those things and then Fortunately, AI agreed with me that, you know, and it's fundamental in democratic societies that, you know, we don't have to agree with everybody and we can still be respectful. So I decided to keep the conversation going with AI and I went back and went back and I was seeing a, a theme that I thought, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this is not looking so good. So then I threw in the, uh, what was it? I threw in the, uh, people can't be born in the wrong body. Yeah, I just said that statement. And I got this 
I don't know, novel, um, convoluted novel back around it. And yeah, I made a decision, the jury's in, that AI will never be as intelligent as a human race because it's been infected with a virus. And I'm not talking about COVID. Mm. I was talking about um, the same virus that's been infecting our schools and that's around the gender identity, woke rubbish. Well, Mm. Dr. Gad said calls it an idea pathogen and there are some really divisive idea pathogens and this gender one is certainly one that's going on. So in terms of schools now, this hasn't gone away at all. Mm. In fact, since we started talking about this, it's been six months, Helen, since we first spoke. Where's that oh, gone? Gosh. I know. Um, since we started talking about this, I actually got a feeling heading because they knew the writing was on the wall that mm. a lot of this has really doubled down into the curriculum and that there has been, I think, an intensification to really entrench that RSE education in the curriculum for the coming year, so then whoever takes over as the new minister, it's going to be difficult for them to unravel. Mm. What is your observations from someone as an ex-teacher in the political space? What are your predictions of what, A, the current government have done? And I'm assuming Erica Stanford will be the new education minister. That's a fairly odds-on bet. Yeah, so there's a couple of thoughts around that that I have. Uh, Like you, I mean, you know, end of the end of the busy campaign time now I can go back to really um you know going back into this whole education issue because I've had to cover I've had to pick up with leadership so many other areas and I sort of you know the education stuff was on the side so I've gone back in and a couple of weekends ago I decided to do a wee bit of research and it didn't take me long Marie to find find out um some people who are behind a lot of this stuff now I've heard interviews even on the platform from different principals who have talked about this, and it's so good that a lot of school leaders now are coming up talking about it. But even they're saying, you know, who's who in the ministry is behind this? And and I kept thinking, why don't I know, you know, who is in the ministry and who's behind it? So I, so I'm looking at the ministry to find out these people, and I saw these names, and I thought, yeah, okay, so they've been there for a while. Um, I went back to a book that I was given, a sex education book from Family Planning. And I had a look through there and I looked at, you know, who the editors were and the different people involved. And I picked up a name, Dr. Jenny Robertson, and I decided to do a search on Dr. Jenny Robertson. And I came back with, um, I'm like, oh, gosh, it's opened up a whole lot of different worms here. And I found that she was involved in the organisation NZHEA, which is New Zealand Health Education Association. You might want to look this up. Now, Jenny, along with there's four women who are on the, I don't know if it's a board, I suppose it's a board of this, and they are involved in making a lot of the decisions that are, um, you know, the content that is going out to the health education for the teachers. So they are, you know, giving this information to teachers. Now, they have a newsletter, Marie, that goes out monthly, and I decided to go through the the most recent one, which is September 2023, and I was reading through it, and there was a whole lot of information, and then I get halfway down, and get listen to this. This is really disturbing. It's headed, Ongoing Distractions and Concerns. It has been disturbing to hear from many of you via our Facebook community and through communications directly to us. Now, this is teachers that are on the Facebook community of this page, that you're receiving pushback about your relationships and sexuality education programs. 
not only, but especially around gender matters. These attacks, and some of them have been quite vitriolic, so the term attack is warranted, are coming from a variety of sources. We can see these will be ongoing in the current political climate and could well escalate leading up to the election. Please make sure your senior leaders know about this. So there's, they go on a little bit further, but then this is what's really important. As noted in our social media post, we, like the Ministry of Education, are dealing with these groups by not giving them oxygen. Just don't give them a platform for sounding off and spreading their rhetoric and misinformation. Now, this is in their newsletter, Marie, to teachers who are listening to parents coming in, wanting answers, having concerns, and they're fobbing them off and treating them like, actually, where have I heard that term before? Oh, yeah, the river of filth. Don't give them oxygen. Don't listen to them. Don't give them a platform because they're not important. These people, Marie, are parents. They're the parents and grandparents. They're the communities of the schools who are the ones that this article here are talking about causing ongoing distractions and concerns. Incredible. This is what happens when you've had six years of the state having inserted itself between the, the child-parent relationship, isn't it? That's right. But this is so revealing about how they, their thinking, the, the mindset that they have about their power no one's given them this kind of level of authority. You know, where do they get this from? This idea that uh, I looked into each one of these women who are on this panel and, you know, most of them have had like, okay, 16 years of teaching this or being a team leader here. Big deal. So what? I've taught for 16 years as well. It doesn't make me an expert. It doesn't make me in charge of your children or making all the decisions about what is best for their sex, health, education, this is still should be going back to the parent community. Those conversations are not happening fully and robustly. It is a group of women, or you know, there might be some men in different areas, who are taking control and driving all of this. So it's really good now that I've, I've been doing a wee bit of investigating to see who's behind and to see who's calling the shots and who's pushing this even more. It's all very well for us to you know, before we looking at, oh, it's the teachers or, you know, like you said before, it's not the teachers, it's top down. And it's not even just the government, right? So we're thinking, okay, I've petitioned the government, you know, you go and speak to the MPs and they do so much and you have these conversations. But there's those behind the scenes, there's the public servants, you know, the ones that are in the back room and these government funded, I might add. So we're paying so funny enough, which well, not funny, we're paying these people, these four women, to be in their role, and they're sitting there dismissing us. These are, it's the power, though, that they the were. power exactly. And, and I noticed in the in the one of their newsletters saying how you know they'll be looking for more funding, and that right now things are up in the air because obviously that was just before the election, and. They did mention that some of their materials have been halted until, you know, the change of government to see what's going to happen there, which is a re it's encouraging because I know that some of that material will be halted while the National come in and pick up and see, you know, where to go with that. But when we're looking at that, yeah, they're being funded for whatever it is they're doing here, pushing through their narrative and not listening to the community and not listening to the parents. So we need to deal with that. We need to actually go in there and chop this off 
at the root of you know where these people are actually infecting it because what rights do they have? Who gave them the right for this? We're allowing them. So we need to stop this. All these different little organisations that rise up, you know, and, you know, because they've got a few years of a degree and whatever, all of a sudden they're claiming, you know, these funds from the government to run this. Well, we need to unpack that. And that's why I'm, you know, doing that, putting the names out there, go and investigate. I am not advocating that people should go in there and start, you know, the vitriol or attacking, but you need to go and question. There's nothing wrong with asking questions and demanding demanding to know because we have our rights you know that they like I said we're paying for this we're paying for their for them to deliver these these things not only them so as well as that I looked at a ERO which is the education review office they are an organization that go into the schools and they review the schools to make sure that they're delivering you know the education correctly or if they need improvement and I'll just give you a statement of what um, they have said, a couple of statements that are really important when you look at the difference between what they are saying and this group here who are dismissing the parent groups. So ERO, two little things. The most important thing is to hear from parents and the students to make sure the school is meeting their needs, okay? Now that you go back and listen to what I just said about the distractions and concerns that that group are raising. Are they listening to the parents? No, they're completely treating them like we're conspiracy theorists. And we know, because I sent you a little video, Mm. that this is happening. We've got some schools fully embracing it. They also say when schools are consulting well, they gather perspectives from parents, whānau, and consider them. Consider them when developing their sex programs. When that happens the programs are more likely to reflect the needs of their community. Now, you go back to what I said with the other group who are saying that they're receiving pushback. Why are they receiving pushback? It's the parent communities who are concerned. They're not being listened to. They're pushing back. ERO is saying that that's what these groups are supposed to do, listen to that. So there's a real mismatch between what is supposed to happen What's not happening? My question then is that surely there needs to be a bridge within the ministry between Mm. those delivering the ERO reports and those actually implementing programs that go into the school. Because at the moment, what you're saying is there's a huge disconnect. And if there's anybody that can potentially bridge that gap and reset the tone, surely that is the minister. Correct. Now, I want to alert you to one other thing that's happened recently around somebody in the Ministry of Education. Now, there might be more than one, but when we, you know, at the end of the election, clearly, you know, all the small parties, we all did really poorly. And I put a post up just saying, yay, Labour's gone. (laughs) You know, I put that on our main New Conservative Facebook and received hundreds of comments, of course, and a lot of likes, hundreds of likes. But there was one comment in particular, I didn't have time to read them all, you know, (laughs) you just don't, but there was one in particular but I noticed other people were commenting on. And it was a male who said, thank goodness I don't need to factor you guys into my decision-making anymore. And, you know, he went on a bit of a rant. And then somebody else came in and asked, well, what are you talking about? What's your problem? And he referred to me, obviously because of my advocating in the gender, you know, in the school area. 
And I decided to, after watching a few of his comments, because he said he's been following Helen for a long time, and I thought, hmm, this is a little bit concerning. What do you mean by that? So I looked at his name and I went and did a bit of research. Now, this particular person is an advisor to the Ministry of Education. Interesting, isn't it? Mm. That, you know, and I thought, well, that was a bit silly, Stephen Rains, for, um, you know, coming on social media and outing yourself like that. It is He's a public servant. He's a public servant. Look, I think that there has been a Wild West sort of attitude within the public service. And a lot of that gets reined in. And many media commentators have sort of, I know Bruce Cottrell has certainly talked about it. And I'm trying to think the other one I read the other day around pulling back on the authoritarian nature that a lot of these public servants have because they have been enabled by a government, particularly in the last three years, to do that. And they have run roughshod over our lives in so many spaces. And education being run, like while we were just chatting, I just wrote down here Māori. And the reason I wrote down Māori is I know that this is a conversation I have with Diane Karina and and with Māori friends that I have, is that a lot of Māori parents, there is a... We hear about the social issues and the ones that aren't connected to what's going on with their kids. That's a whole other issue. But a lot of Māori parents are really connected in what's going on with their children. And those who have got their kids mainstreamed and not within Kurakaupapa, you know, they don't tend to be, they have the sort of retail where they're very reserved. They don't have that conversive relationship often with a lot of their teachers. So when they do have a discussion, it's, a big deal for them. And if you've got people like this, these four women saying, oh, we don't want to give them the oxygen, where do you draw that line between what is more important, upholding the concerns based on a cultural basis or the individual basis of that family and affirming your gender rhetoric and agenda? Where is the you line? Know, I think there's a bit of a culture within education, and it's not only these these women and these ones that are, you know, got in the ministry or whatever, because in my early day, I'll be honest, in my early days of teaching, actually maybe even just before I started teaching in my teacher training, I used, I actually thought, because these women, they're in, they're within the education system, they're in teaching as well. Clearly they came from there, they were teachers. There are some teachers who have that power who have a real, you know, that authoritarian, like I'm a, I'm reasonably firm and all of that, but there are some of these teachers that I have met that are very authoritarian in their uh, mindset about how much power they have. And it's like I used to think that I might be a whistleblower one day because I felt like these some of these teachers have far too much control, far too much control over the children and the families and, the, you know, the families aren't even aware of how much control that they kind of they believe they have or they believe that they are entitled to, you know, that they might have been in the teaching for so long that they think that um, they know better. Like, yes, they are uh, experienced and they are, you know, within their field of expertise and education, but it doesn't make them the all-important authority over your child. I think there's a real disconnect here between some of those people and the fact that these are your children, you're you know, dropping off to school, it doesn't take away, you know, the parents' rights. And I did hear somebody a while ago who's a counsellor and they said that uh, they'd read somewhere where once a parent drops their children off at school, the school takes over the rights of that child. And that's wrong. That's completely wrong. You know, they're there to educate, they're not there to 
you know, it's not their authority all of a sudden to take over everything about that child. So, yeah, there's a real disconnect between the power that some people in the education sector in those schools and those school environments have over families and children. Well, and, I look yeah. at it in the sense that they have to call you to get permission in order for a child to take a Panadol at school if they've got a headache. Mm. So therefore they have to get permission about what it is that your child takes into their body, but they don't have to get permission about what they put into the, your child's mind. Yeah. And that is, it. you know, and this is concerning. So I want to get well, on well, to I don't, it's, it hasn't always been like that. I just refer back to, I just popped into my head when I, when I taught in the early days, a few number of years back, you know, around Christmas and Easter, I remember there were situations where we were told, you know, okay, we've got, you've got this, um, I wasn't even a Christian then, uh, you know, you got this Christian in your class and they don't, this particular religion don't celebrate Christmas, so you can't be doing certain things, okay? And then it came to a point where we stopped having Christmas celebrations. In a lot of schools, they've stopped that, you know, the nativity scenes and all of that. So back then, you know, we had to be careful with what films you'd pl- put on, um, the different type of lessons, and yet now... <laughs> You know, when it comes to sex, everything goes, you know, mm. we're talking about, well, I've, I probably can't mention it on here, but, you know, we're talking about all of that explicit stuff with children and that's well, okay. It's well, okay. Speaking of implicit, I want to talk about the school that's in your backyard, Helen, mm. in your backyard. Yes. So Beckenham School, there's this, this vid, and I actually didn't watch a video, I read the transcript, in Christchurch and it's a video and it's talking to year seven and year eight teachers, Jenny and Nikki, discuss and plan to teach responsive RSE and explore gender-related topics across the curriculum. What on earth is responsive RSE, Helen? I don't know. <laughs> Something they've made up. I don't know. It's a one it's term, a new one probably. For me. Oh, my Lord. That's so so I, I quickly looked at that because I, I was like, okay, you know, in my investigating, like I said, maybe I should be a journalist after all. So I found, you know, as I, as I told you, I found all this other stuff. I, I found that because one of the sites I looked on, it gives you some uh, examples of teachers doing things well around teaching health. Okay, and that particular school was one model that they used, how they've embraced the gender issues around the health. And as you would have heard or or read, one of those speaking is the principal, the principal of that school who has fully embraced all of the gender, all of the rainbow stuff in their school. So for those listening, if you're at Beckenham School, surely you're aware that this is actually fully, this school is fully embraced with gender ideology in rainbow areas. Now, there's a number of schools that aren't doing this. Kudos to them. Again, where's that power thing that that school, that principal has decided that this is okay, but so she's decided that that whole school can embrace it. And I don't know if you watched one of the little clips where that either Jenny or Nikki, one of the teachers, was talking, was reading to her class of year seven, I think you said, year seven or eight. Year seven's an eight, A novel. Yeah. A novel, a rainbow novel about, you know, that. And and it was, it's like, do the parents even know that your children are actually having a novel read to them that is fully, you know, embracing this gender ideology? Do they know? They're not having approved, you know, they're not approving the novels that are being read to these children. Well, this so this is where, again, practicality comes into this, right? So this school, I'm assuming, goes year one to eight. 
Yes. We're at 128, okay. 500 children at the school. Mm. And here is the quote, our initial thinking about gender became because we had a child in our school who transitioned. Mm -hmm. So I've got two things on this. They Mm -hmm. turned everything on gender on its head because of one child out of 500 children transitioned. Now let's talk about this transition. Year one to year eight. So we're not even talking a teenager here. We are talking a child. Yes, you're right, a child. Um, I mean, we know that child, you know, that goes right up to 18. But, yes, we're talking about primary intermediate school, a child. The intermediate is 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds. So a child transitioned. I also taught before I got out, before I, you know, started getting involved in politics. The last school I taught at, there was a child transitioning. What that looks like is he was a boy. At the end of the year, he is a boy, and the beginning of the next year, he wanted to start his new social transitioning as a female student. And so, again, Inside Out come in, and they facilitate the sex education, and they give the staff some PD, professional development, in all of this gender stuff, because of one student, one student, and now you might might remember my early days with you. I talked about at that particular time I was relieving across uh, a release teacher across the four senior schools, which is ten and eleven year olds. And that child was in the senior school, yeah, ten mm-hmm. years old, transitioning. And because of that, the sex lessons now became all around gender issues. And it was two days after one of those lessons where I taught a class, and there was another boy student who was doing a behaviour. And when I asked him about it, he said he was trying to work out what he'd look like as a female. So you can see straight away how that one child where they could have been supported, because these children do need to be supported in whatever they're dealing with and their families, and we need to have compassion, but do we take a whole school approach and infect all these children's minds with something that is not reality. And then we are sowing seeds of doubt around their identity, which is clearly what is happening. And this whole school and this principal is embracing it fully, not only just supporting that one student, but celebrating this gender stuff that you and I know is nonsense and not reality. This whole school is allowed to do that. The thing that really knots my knickers, and again, it comes back to the use of language. I've talked about language before, the manipulation of language. They Mm. use the manipulation of language. And the the favourite little buzzword across this group is inclusion. How on earth can they be inclusive when they're actually excluding a large body of the school population? And as you've even said, if people do speak out like to that group, led by Dr. Robertson, if they do speak out and say, hey, I'm I'm not down with this, I'm not down with, you know, because I feel this is exclusionary to my female child, mm-hmm. you no, you're not to give them oxygen and they, and they don't matter. That how on earth is that inclusive, Helen? And if you, you know, you go back to that that statement that they put out, it's treating those people like there's something wrong with them. I mean that's the normal everyday families 
parents and grandparents that are concerned about what's happening. And yes, you're right. You know, they're not being listened to. They're not being respected. Like I said, it sounds very familiar to the ground, you know, the protest at Parliament, doesn't it? You know, they're not being listened to. We've got some big issues, and that's top-down. So at a school, when, when there's many schools that are fantastic out there with great school leaders, but there are some that are very toxic. And I'll tell you that because I've, I've taught at one, and I know many teachers who will tell you the same thing. And it comes from the top down. If your principal, your school of your leader is, you know, leading in a way where there's some, you know, some issues and it becomes a toxic culture, it starts at the top. So if, if the, if the you know, the team leaders are seeing it from the top, then they're going to be treating their their team, you know, teachers the same way. It's all, it all happens like that. And so the where I'm going with this is the government. So the, you know, Labor government over the last six years, they've allowed this, they've fully embraced this where, you know, the rainbow community have been given so many rights at the expense of the rest of society. Last week when we had the rally, at the end of the rally, I went over and talked with the transgender community. We actually talked for quite a considerable amount of time and there was one quite reasonable person, um, gentleman there, Sorry, actually, I don't know if he's a gentleman. To be honest, he's a trans person, and but we had a we had a you know he was very reasonable and we had a good chat. There were some there that weren't so reasonable, but on that we talked about that. I you know he said to me something around the trans area, and I said, look, you guys have a lot of rights. I said we all stand up for human all human rights, but when your rights are impacting mine and you're telling me what I have to do, then no. Mm. clearly that's wrong and so yeah there's a real mismatch but that's because of the government have allowed it so the rainbow inside out group they had i think i told you they had a room in parliament and you know there's a rainbow rainbow room room in there and that's not just you know rainbow room go and have a chill out this is you know where they go and organize where they have conversations where they get involved and lobby Um, and i know that chris hipkins at one stage talked about the fact that there's some people who've been, you know, potentially allowed to lobby the parliament too much. He, he basically admitted it. And so, you know, this has come from the top down. It's come from the government who have allowed it, who have um, created this atmosphere of culture. And so we need to take that back. Well, it's there, time for the, us to take it back. And, this, and again, this comes back to the critical social justice. It comes back to queer theory. It comes back to all of those things. Because you look at, from the rainbow aspect, it's a very, very vocal hand-picked selection group of the rainbow aspect because we all yes. know that a lot of the Speak Up for Women advocates are primarily lesbians. So a lot oh, of lesbians there. Absolutely, and, yeah. and a lot of the, the rainbow community, what I would call the traditional aspects of the radio, rainbow community, the ones that fought for legalisation and were at those picket lines and, and did all of that through the 70s and the 80s, are not down with this. Are not down okay, with so this. Okay, so the group that were there, the group that were there protesting against us last week at the rally, they weren't lesbians. They weren't um, homosexual guys. These were guys dressed as female, they were the T, the Q, and, you know, the pluses, that that group were there. It wasn't the LGB, it wasn't the, you know, they weren't there. It was the rest of them. And they were holding up signs with Nazi and all of this, you know. And in the current climate, really? Read the room. I know. And, And so when I went up there and had a chat, 
had a chat with a few of these transgender people, I was beckoning over the particular guy who had a full-on face mask on so you couldn't identify him, who was holding the Nazi sign calling us Nazis in one hand and in the other had a big camera taking photos of us all. And he wouldn't come over and talk with me because I wanted to know what was with the Nazi sign, you know. Mm. Tell me, why are we Nazis? And, and yeah, so it was a very interesting, interesting day. But just going back to what you said about the lesbians, so the group that we were there, so it was Manawahini Kōrero, they organised it and they had um, sent me an invite to speak as well as a number of other women. There were, like you said, uh, a number of those women are lesbian. You know, and and here we were. There were some faith-based leaders there as well, and we all came together. Okay, now I'll just go. I'll talk about this because we talked a little bit at the beginning around coming together around the parties and things. There was myself. There were two, three other women from different parties. So there were four political parties represented there. The four of us women, very strong women, we all spoke. Now there were no egos. There was no agenda. We were very diverse, and yet us women could come together on the day to stand for one thing. So for anyone listening out there, I'm hoping that, you know, potentially those male leaders out there might listen and take a leaf out of that book when we have some conversations in the political arena next because it didn't matter all the other stuff. That's all laid down. We came together on the day together for this one cause and with this one purpose. Yeah, like I said, there were four political parties, very strong women, incredible women, and uh, we went away from there having a bit of a conversation as well about what we can do together to work together. And I think that's really important, and hopefully next year we'll continue in that space. Can I just mention one more thing? Before I went there, I had an interview with a transgender, ex-transgender person, so I met up with him and he was very gracious and gave me a couple of hours so we we talked for about two hours he's here in Christchurch Marie and maybe you'll get to talk to him one day but I do plan to interview him at some point in the future and he's more than happy to get on board with this as well so, so this is a de-transitioner a de-transitioner yeah mm-hmm. and what that looks like I mean I'm obviously not going to share his information he'll, he'll share that when when I interview him what he, what he did say is people have a probably a one perspective of what a de-transitioner is so there are people who start that transition journey through the social transition like our children that are in school those children that we talked about that are starting that transition where they do it socially with the dress and with the pronouns and their names. And then they're put onto the puberty blockers most of the time, you know, to halt that puberty. So this particular person I was talking to, he he was taking puberty blockers and hormones for five years. Five years, okay. He didn't go to the next level of the surgery, surgery, fortunately. But he's still classed as, you know, a detransitioner because he was on that path and lived for five years as, you know, going towards becoming a female. Now, one thing he did say to me is when he first, you know, was uncomfortable with some things about his life, he got on social media, as you do, and it was, I think it was called Reddit. You've heard of Reddit? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And he told me it only t- was, took a, a matter of months before he was convinced that he was a transgender 
that's how long it takes, you know, for these children, for our children now, for parents out there listening to this and community leaders or teachers, it is social media. There are activists on social media. There are influencers on social media. There are sexual deviates on social media who are, you know, getting a hold of your children, of our young people, and changing the way that they think about themselves. And if you've got children who are vulnerable, and look, this is not even just about mental health. This is about, it's uncomfortable being a teenager. It's uncomfortable in this world sometimes. You know, this it's not easy all the time. And we can all have struggles. But if you're in that space and you're online in the social media world, you know, and you're going to be captured, and that's a really vulnerable place for your people, for our people to be, and then all of a sudden they get captured into this cult and this is what um, the detransitioner has said. It's a cult. It is a cult. And he his message to our government is it does need to be banned from all schools. Now, when I went to Parliament the first time five years ago, Kieran McNulty said, uh, you know, you haven't convinced me that New Zealand has a problem. Well, five years on, we have a problem, you know, and I used examples from detransitioners in America because at that point, you know, it wasn't so in our face. Now, clearly it is because the Ministry of Education have embraced it. You know, some of the schools like Beckenham schools, they're embracing it. And so all of these children who might just be uncomfortable and having normal puberty, uncomfortable feelings are now being encouraged to question and identify something different. It's coming from school. It's coming from social media. Mm. All of this needs to be talked about. We need to talk about this as a community as well as to our government. Now, you talked about is it, oh, Erica, Erica Stanford, and I'm thinking, wow, great. I've heard her and I thought, well, she's got a lot more testicles than Jan Taniti did. So I'm thinking, great. I think, I think testicles and, and, and things up top as well, just quietly, but that's probably, yeah. we don't need to worry about that anymore. No, but, you know, I was thinking, okay, there, there might be some hope here. So I listened to Erica, even though she hasn't been identified as a, um, identified as the education minister yet. I'm hoping that she will be. Mm. So if she is, I'm going to have some conversations here because even Erica, although some of what she was saying, I thought, oh, good, good, good. But then she still went to, oh, there's misinformation out there. And I'm thinking, no, Erica, no. I think she's a little bit naive in what's really happening. And it's all very well if you look at Erica and, you know, different others who send their children to DSL 10 schools or private schools. I've, I've talked to but people at private sometimes schools. Sometimes they can be the worst. Oh, well, okay, true. But but then you've got a lot of them are not going to push this stuff no. because they make sure that their children are not going to be infected with this. Um, so it's all very well for Erica to sit there and think that this is not happening and it's misinformation. I mean, I've got, we've got evidence. Most of us have got some evidence of it happening. You've got the principal in yeah. the uh, from Beckenham School talking about our embraced they have embraced it. So, yeah, there was, there's, the good thing is I'm going to have some conversations with a few people soon and looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to the fact that some of these other organisations have been halted for the moment. And, and this is a time for those of us like, you know, like yourself, mm-hmm. like me, like those other women who, bless them, you know, um, Dee, that die, Dee Landy and all of those Reeks amazing women. Philippa, oh, yeah. Gosh, it was fantastic meeting them. It's time for us now to actually go further because the protest 
like you heard, they're ignoring us. They're not listening. They're not giving us platforms. We need to go further. And so we will go further. Um, just just to put, um, finish on the detransitioner, uh, I am halfway through my law degree and I can see some law suits coming. So for those people out there listening, educators who are fully embracing this, just be warned that there will be lawsuits. There's going to be lots because there are parents now talking who have had their children go through this in schools. The time will come when all of you people who are out there pushing it, uh, we're going to be identifying you now. It's not now about, oh, it's just somebody in the ministry. We are going to find more information about what you're doing, why you're doing this, and who gave you the right to do it. And, yeah, just so that they're aware of that. Yeah, seriously this, this, it's the big thing now, and I, and I hope a lot of people uh, don't do this, is that we, you take your eye off the ball now that government has changed. Actually, this is the time that you really do need to hone yeah. in and focus. And I know you and I will catch up. I'm actually taking a big, long break over the summer, Helen. Oh, oh thank I, goodness. God, I know. God, I, no. <laughs> I need, oh gosh, it's been such a whirlwind with mm. Reality Check Radio. It's uh, all oh, of Oh, you us. guys have been incredible, and we thank you. We're so grateful that you've been there, and, you know, we've been able to get that platform to speak. We're really appreciative. So thank you, Marie, and to all your whole team. Have a break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm taking a wee bit longer than than the rest of the crew, but we, I will be back in February. So I'm taking all of January off, but I will be okay. back in February, and we will get. So once the school year kicks in, you and I mm-hmm. will touch base because by then the minister will be announced. Uh, and I did listen to Christopher Luxon last week, and he was, you know, he. It's, it was sounding hopeful, like they were, um, lots of progress was being made and mm. he was very, very keen to kick on with a lot of stuff before Christmas, which is excellent. I think as long as parents and the people do send a very, very clear message to whoever is going to be in the coalition um, that, hey, you know, we're here, don't forget us, these these are the concerns that we have. Um, mm. It will be interesting to see what happens moving forward. So once the school year gets established next year, you and I can touch base and, and yeah. see what's going on. Yeah, and not just, oh, we're here. We need to be a little bit more proactive than that and a wee bit stronger. We're here. Mm. They're our children. You know, these mm. are our children. This is what we want. This is what we don't want. And um, we need to have these conversations before they set up the new year at school before they try and implement any more of the stuff to get it to remove it. So yeah, we will um, continue on. And it's great that there are those other organisations now who we can work together and do that. So I think yeah, all of those oh, great it's people. All, it's always a joy to catch up with you, Helen. It's so good to talk to you. This has been Helen Houghton, leader of the New Conservative Party, and we've been talking about gender education in our schools. She's continuing her advocacy work in that space. And there's still, of course, lots of fantastic content here to come with Reality Check Radio. Uh, Marty is here shortly with Media Matters, and we'll hopefully we'll be able to squeak in a bit of Woke News of the Week as well. Thanks, Helen. This is Counterculture with Marie Buskey, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Chick Radio.